Focus on Headline. All right, let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, joining us in the studio today, we have our reporters in Lee Ji-young and Che Ji-hee. Guys, welcome back. Good evening. Good evening. Good evening to you guys. Well, uh, this past week, uh, certainly the top issue uh, of the week has been the release of the wastewater from the Fukushima nuclear power plant. Uh, that was done after uh, two years and four months since the Japanese government under the then Yoshida Suga announced that uh, Japan will indeed go forth uh, with the release of the uh, the wastewater from the crippled Daiichi nuclear power plant. Uh, a day after the release of the wastewater, the Japanese government began the first sampling of the seawater around the nuclear power plant in order to measure the concentration of tritium. So, Ji, you're going to start us off. Tell us more about this. Right. So, the Japanese Ministry of the Environment on Friday began sampling to measure the concentration of tritium in seawater around the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear power plant for the first time since the discharge of contaminated water or treated water as the Japanese government calls it, into the ocean, according to Kyoto News report. Now, according to the report, the ministry plans to release weekly information on 11 seas within a 50-kilometer radius of the nuclear plant for the next three months, and the survey results are due on the 27th. Uh, the ministry plans to contact TEPCO through the Nuclear Regulatory Agency if tritium levels exceed 700 becquerels per liter at points within 3 kilometers of the plant and 30 becquerel per liter at points further away. Now, after contaminated water was discharged yesterday, Environment Minister Akihiro Nishimura stated in a speech that the government would conduct thorough, objective, and transparent, as well as reliable monitoring to prevent rumors. And separately, TEPCO has also begun analyzing the seawater around the plant, and the first sample results were released earlier this afternoon. So the first measurements of tritium concentrations in seawater in front of the plant were found to be below the standard. So analysis of seawater samples collected from 10 locations within a 3-kilometer radius of the plant the previous day showed that the tritium concentration was less than 10 becquerels per liter, which is within the normal range. And moving forward, TEPCO will collect seawater samples daily from 10 locations within a 3-kilometer radius and announce analysis results the following day. And Kyoto News emphasized the importance of such data on tritium concentrations in the waters around the plant to prevent any rumors, as well as to convince China and Hong Kong regarding Japanese seafood imports. So, again, the terminology being used is an interesting one. Mm. As uh, Ji said, uh, the Japanese government and the Japanese uh, uh, media calls it treated water, which technically, yes, it is treated water. But, uh, you know, although uh, they do say that, uh, uh, what is it, contaminated water is the wrong, I guess, terminology. Well, the argument with that, what some people are saying is if there is still concentration of tritium uh, in the water that's coming out from whatever is being released, uh, it is still contaminated mm -hmm. is what they're saying. So I like to just go kind of meet them down the middle and call it wastewater there. Uh, but it is interesting with this. I've been, as you know, uh, following this uh, IAEA uh, real time graph on what's going on with this. Mm -hmm. And uh, they did change the, the spelling error on flow rate to back to flow rate. So I don't know if they're really listening to to Korea now uh, made the changes here, but uh, it's still at uh, 206 becquerel per liters uh, after dilution, tritium con uh, concentration after dilution. And so the number that we have to look at is it shouldn't exceed
exceed 1,500 uh, becquerels per liter. Uh, that's the uh, tritium concentration after dilution. And of course, uh, once it goes into the seawater, the dilution level should be far less than that. Now, the U.S., by the way, has once again thrown its weight behind Japan's uh, controversial decision to discharge uh, the radioactive water from the Fukushima Daiichi nuclear uh, plant into the Pacific Ocean. So, Jiang, uh, can you fill us in on this? Uh, sure, SJ. Just yesterday on the 24th, when Yonhap News, News Agency questioned the U.S. State Department about this issue, uh, the response was pretty clear. Uh, they had confirmed their stance supporting Japan's move while emphasizing their decisions about the release that it should be based on science. So they're basically saying that they trust Japan's judgment and the State Department was actually keen to point out that Japan's plan aligns with the International Atomic Energy Agency's criteria and they're quite satisfied with how Japan's handling it. Now it seems like the U.S. is under the impression that Japan hasn't been making these decisions alone. Uh, they believe Japan has been in discussions with scientists and partners in the Indo-Pacific area, uh, ensuring a broader consensus. Now, even the U.S. Secretary of State's Ant State, Antony uh, Blinken, has given his nod to Japan's plan just a little while ago. Um, now, it seems that the Biden administration has been pretty uh, consistent, uh, perhaps too unwavering in supporting Japan's decision from the get-go, saying um, quite a few observers. Now, there's been a lot of speculation about the safety of seafood from Fukushima, but it seems the U.S. ambassador to Japan, Ram Emanuel is looking to address those concerns in a rather unique way. Uh, in a recent interview, Ambassador Emanuel mentioned that he's planning to dine on seafood directly from Fukushima. However, observers say that planning to eat fish from the region is a bold gesture, but it can also be seen as a way to downplay concerns uh, because one meal won't truly represent the long-term implications of releasing the wastewater. Yeah, so um, again, I mean, it's interesting with the United States because uh, the consensus was initially the hope was that because eventually the way that the, the water stream and the water moves uh, internationally, that uh, the water released into the Pacific Ocean uh, will eventually reach reach the west coast of the United States and the west coast for our listeners out there. I don't know if you know, uh, for example, like uh, near the San Francisco area and mm -hmm. uh, Washington area and the Oregon area, all the west coast, they're, they're, they're a big fishing area. And mm -hmm. so a lot of the fish being caught there, I mean, they're transported all over uh, the United States and so forth. And so because it does eventually affect the United States, you were hoping that the United States would have been kind of opposing the idea of Japan releasing it, which then I think Japan would have made a different decision on the matter because there was other options at hand. Releasing it into the ocean after treating it uh, was the cheapest method. And there was the, the more expensive method, which was, I believe, kind of like uh, if some... Uh, Putting it into the air. Yeah, yeah. Evaporating it, yeah. right? Evaporating was one of them, but it was going to cost like so much was what it is. And so... The reason I say this is because previously um, you had, for example, the 
Former and late uh, Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, he used to pay tribute to the Yasukuni Shrine, even as the Prime Minister. And mm -hmm. so uh, South Korea had opposed that, China had opposed it, and they said, I don't care. Until the U.S. got involved and said, listen, I don't think that's a good idea for you guys to be, you know, sending these offerings yourself to these Class A war criminals that we, by the way, the United States had fought uh, back in uh, World War II. And so that's when they stopped doing it. They only sent war offering and stuff like that. But I think at this time, some of the pundits are saying that for the United States, this his issue with releasing the, uh, the, the, the wastewater into the ocean is not a big enough deal to kind of risk diplomatic clash with Japan when the U.S. really wants this kind of uh, collaboration and this alliance with Japan and South Korea, everything is going well. So it is interesting what the U.S., the, how the U.S. is coming out and what the U.S. ambassador to Japan is doing, eating fish out of straight from Fukushima. Uh, but as Japan began its discharge of the wastewater into the ocean, conflicts with China has also escalated naturally. G, you have more on this. Right. So as soon as the Japanese government started releasing contaminated water into the ocean of the Daiichi nuclear power plant, China immediately responded with a ban on imports of Japanese seafood. Now, the ban was extended from 10 metropolitan municipalities, including Fukushima Prefecture, to 47 nationwide. Japan expressed extreme regret at China's recent decision to stop importing Japanese seafood, which the Japanese government has been actively promoting at home and abroad. Now, China is apparently the world's largest importer of Japanese seafood, hence why Japan demanded that it be immediately reversed. Now, according to the Chinese embassy and the Japanese foreign ministry, Chinese ambassador to Japan, Wu Zhanghao, and Japanese deputy Secu uh, security advisor, Masataka Okano, exchanged words over the issue of this wastewater the day before. And Wu said China firmly opposes and once again sternly protests Japan's discharge of polluted water and added that Japan should immediately stop its extreme, selfish, and irresponsible behavior. He went on to say it's natural and necessary for the Chinese government to declare a total suspension of imports of Japanese seafood and that Japan is solely responsible for causing this situation. And in response, Okano clearly explained Japan's position, including the safety of discharging polluted water into the ocean, and strongly urged China to take a calm response based on scientific evidence. And he said China's decision is contrary to the international movement to eliminate and relax food import regulations and called for the early removal of the ban. And Prime Minister Fumio Kishida and Foreign Minister Yoshimasa Hayashi also made it clear to China that the move was unacceptable. And also, according to the Yomiuri Shimbun, uh, condemnation of China came from across the political spectrum in Japan as well. While Ch uh, Japan emphasized that the IAEA report was an important proof of the safety of the contaminated water discharge, China has repeatedly publicly expressed its opposition, referring to the water as nuclear contaminated water. And uh, so far, the two countries have been unable to resolve their differences on this matter in diplomatic fora, including the SAN plus three foreign ministers meeting in Indonesia, as well as the first preparatory committee for the nuclear non-proliferation treaty review conference. And China, along with Russia, has also conveyed to Japan that it finds ocean discharges unacceptable and has suggested considering what you mentioned earlier, SJ, the atmospheric release instead. It's interesting with China because um, 
the media outlets are really clashing because over the past 24 hours or mm -hmm. so, we had a number of articles from like, let's say like NHK, for instance, uh, calling out China's hypocrisy because uh, this is an article by the NHK uh, in the past 20, 22 hours ago. 13 China plants released more tritium in 2021 than Fukushima annual total plant. <laughs> And so they're saying, listen, China, you guys are not even meeting the standards. And so I don't know what you guys are complaining about. And also others are saying, hey, how come no one's complaining towards China? And you guys are you know, putting all this uh, blame on us and criticizing us when China's over there. They've been doing this. And so it's interesting with this clash between China and Japan right now. And I do kind of worry uh, the amount that's being released uh, into because that also uh, affects us here in South Korea. Yeah, but do two wrongs make a right? No. Well, some will say ask the question so that's the thing it's one that china of course they should be um uh, re uh, assessing what their 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 message is but japan should also not point the finger back to china they should assess the situation at the moment and see the ramifications the potential ramifications of their actions right so japan's argument is that they're meeting the international standards right mm -hmm. they're not going against they're not uh, exceeding what the iaea told them was the international standards whereas china is uh, apparently uh, exceeding the international standards and so they're going well yes we are releasing tritium water into the ocean but listen it's under the international standards we're playing by the rule books china over there meanwhile they're not and so they're blamed so it's kind of they're not they initially didn't say anything about china until china came out and said hey you guys are releasing this water and we're not happy and and that's when i think japan started attacking china and said listen you guys are you know a bunch of hypocrites you guys aren't even meeting the, the international standards but you're right i mean two rungs don't make a right here uh but you know that there's going to be a <laughs> it's a it's, it's funny, this clash uh, with China and uh, Japan right now. Uh, nevertheless, uh, the decision to release the contaminated water or the wastewater or the treated water, however you want to put this, from Fukushima has also had immediate ramifications, uh, particularly for South Korea's seafood industry. There's a lot of people uh, that I've talked to saying, is this the end of raw fish that they're able to enjoy over the weekends. Uh, markets in the countries right now, they're, they're quiet as uh, customers are pulling back on their seafood purchases already. So, uh, Jiang, tell us more about this. Sure, SJ. Now, the release of this contaminated water isn't just a concern for environmentalists, uh, but it's an immediate uh, impact on South Korea's seafood industry paints a troubling troubling picture. Uh, marketplaces that were once vibrant are now filled with hesitation as wary customers second-guess their seafood choices. And historical data also paints a concerning picture as well. Uh, following the 2011 disaster, um, a study from the Korea Maritime Institute showed that Seoul's Noryangjin fish market experienced a 12.4% drop in daily seafood transactions for three months. And in 2013, uh, seafood consumptions uh, decreased by about 40% in traditional markets and 20% in large supermarkets. Now, the ripple effect is quite clear. Uh, in just a week, mackerel wholesale prices dropped by over 10%. And even at major hubs like the Busan fish market, which counts for 30% of the country's seafood distribution, prices for some fish varieties were halved, uh, which is a startling testament to the gravity of Japan's decision. Yeah, and this is considering the fact that 
there's different sort of like data that's coming out how mm-hmm. long it takes for the water to eventually affect the waters off the coast of mm-hmm. South Korea. So uh, we had some experts saying that it might take about uh, three years was what they were saying. But mm-hmm. they're saying that's probably the deep sea water. Mm-hmm. If you look at the surface water, which is more troubling because most of the fish is actually caught in the surface area, mm-hmm. not the deep oceans. Uh, that's actually some months they were saying something like uh, uh, as long as four, four to six months, I think was uh, what I heard. And so it doesn't have an immediate impact right now. Just because it released it yesterday doesn't mean that it's already gotten to South Korea right now, but eventually it will. And so if there's already uh, concerns right now, what's going to happen later on? And what's going to be quite ironic is the fact that if you guys ever been to these like Murangjin fish markets and mm-hmm. so forth, it's more expensive to buy wild fish, fish that's caught caught off the ocean mm-hmm. as opposed to farmed fish right and so like there's ways to find out which is farmed and which is not farmed if you like for example like flounders and stuff like that it's cheaper to buy farmed and they're saying that now farmed fish might be more expensive oh. because of the high demand for uh, farmed fish because there's no concerns over any kind of contamination mm-hmm. right is what they're saying so that's the irony of mm-hmm. all this but Jiang, how about the south korean government how are they responding uh to all of this Uh, Well, SJ, frankly, the government's response has been a mix of damage control and promotional campaigns at the moment. Um, They're pushing for more seafood in company cafeterias and offering discounts in supermarkets. And agreements agreements have been signed with corporations like HD Hyundai and Hyundai Green Food, but it's actually a Band-Aid solution for a deepening wound at the moment. Uh, While the government has has adjusted some regulations, long-term worries are lingering. Uh, Forecasts suggest Japan's continued release of contaminated water over the next three decades could impose yearly losses of up to 4 trillion won, which is about 3.5 billion U.S. dollars, um, repeat, annually uh, on South Korea's seafood sector. So some experts even believe these figures might be on the conservative side. And the government has, of course, expressed sympathy, but remains cautious about the compensation discussions. Now, their immediate focus is to promote seafood consumption with a current budget of 640 billion won, which is about 590 million U.S. dollars dedicated to the cause. Again, uh, South Koreans consume a whole lot of seafood. uh, And uh, this is, again, I mean, if it's true what the Japanese side have said, and it is safe to consume, uh, it's going to be diluted. By the time it arrives in South Korea, let's say, it's going to be diluted enough and it's not going to be at high enough tritium level. We had some of the uh, our expert, one expert in New Zealand uh, who told us that uh, the dilution level is going to be low enough that it's not going to, really not going to impact the consumption of the seafood, mm-hmm. uh, especially because tritium is naturally occurring as well. And you're actually consuming some tritium uh, in all the fish. But it's, it, I, I think we need to get more data on this. But I think mm-hmm. initially there's always going to be concern. And just like we mentioned initially when the, uh, the Fukushima uh, nuclear power plant disaster had happened for, for some quite time, people were just avoiding seafood. Food. And we saw with the statistics, they're just not buying any fish. But over time, I think the worries were quelled. Uh, but all I know is uh, next month, Chungchul and I were having a, a head party uh, last time to enjoy raw fish before something might happen. So I think that's what the plan is at this time. Anyone 
want to join. We're going to be in Anyang. Uh, let's move on here. <laughs> President Yoon Sung-yeol presiding over a private meeting with economy experts to discuss current macroeconomic situations. Ji, uh, you have more on this. All right. So President Yoon Sung-yeol today held a private luncheon meeting with a group of private experts at the Yongsan Presidential Office to review the current macroeconomic situation. Now, according to a senior official at the presidential office, the meeting was organized for President Yoon to hear the opinions of experts on the macroeconomic variables that have emerged recently. And the meeting reportedly focused on the impact of financial risks from China on the domestic market and the spillover effects of rising U.S. long-term treasury rates. And President Yoon chaired the meeting three times last year when domestic and international market volatility expanded and deliberated on ways to minimize internal shocks caused by external factors. Now, analysts say that the meeting is in line with the economic drive that has been in full swing since the U.S.-South Korea-Japan summit at Camp David in the U.S., including a meeting on regulatory innovation strategy the day before to discuss supporting businesses by removing the so-called killer regulations. And officials in the presidential office believe that the new paradigm of diplomacy and security is on track and explained that the country will continue to focus on strengthening economic activities for the time being. And the meeting was attended by the heads of state-run research institutes and private financial groups. And it was also reportedly attended by Deputy Prime Minister and Minister of uh, Strategy and Finance Chu Kyung-ho, as well as Bank of Korea Governor Lee Chang-yong and Chief Economic Advisor to the Presidential Office Choi Sang-mok. Meanwhile, also notable is President Yoon's approval of the request for a personnel hearing on the appointment of his special advisor for external relations, Yi Dong-gwan, as the new communications commission chief earlier today. Uh, This is despite backlash from the opposition party, and apparently an appointment ceremony was held at the presidential office at 3 p.m. today. Yeah, it's interesting how uh, the UN administration is kind of moving in the second half of this year. I think recently when there was a cabinet reshuffle, uh, there was a number of former finance uh, f- finance ministry officials that were kind of uh, put in different spots. And uh, we're seeing him emphasize the economy moving forward because the truth of the matter is uh, the economy right now, the South Korean economy does not look uh, very rosy at this moment. And uh, we even had the recent GDP growth uh, downgraded for next year as well by the Bank of Korea. Uh, but also, uh, we have to be concerned about a surge in inflation that's still going on. An alarming economic report just came out, uh, which reflects a significant decrease in household incomes. Uh, Jing, let's get the figures on that. Uh, sure, SJ. So South Korea is seeing its household income dive deeper than ever before. Um, a, a previous report that was released by Statistics Statistics Korea says that in the second quarter of this year, we're talking nearly a 4% drop in uh, the household income. And the main culprits of this is the rising inflation. And to add to the blow is the government's pulled ba- uh, government's pullback on the COVID-19 financial support. So incomes are down and their expenses are also feeling the squeeze there too. Um, so you have to think of it this way. Now, while people 
people are pocketing less money, they're actually shelling out more. Uh, prices for everything has shot up, uh, shot up, and with high interest rates, things like taxes and interest payments have surged by over eight uh, percent. Now, to give you an idea. Just the interest expenses have gone up a whopping 42.4% from last year. So people are paying more, but sadly not for more goods or services. And of course, all of this is happening with the backdrop of the pandemic. Um, it's actually hard to separate the two. Now, the government was helping out, um, especially small business owners, with some financial aid, but that's been stopped now at the moment. And now we're actually feeling the aftershock. While people working regular jobs saw their incomes rise about 4.9%, uh, those running businesses barely saw a bump with just a mere. 0.1% increase. Uh, on the other side, property incomes did jump significantly, but other incomes uh, such as insurance pay, pay, uh, payouts, uh, they actually went down. And with all of this is the rich-poor gap. This has slightly narrowed, but on the surface, the gap between the tw top 20 earners and the bottom 20 uh, seems to have narrowed a little bit. But that's actually not really good news because both ends of the spectrum, the well-off and the well-less for fortunate, saw their incomes drop. So it's less about things getting better for the lower income groups and more about everyone feeling the pitch. Yeah, pinch. I, yeah. the thing is, everyone feels the pinch right now. It's mm -hmm. just that those on the lower income gap just feels it a lot more. And I've noticed uh, that you know, my credit card bills have been going up uh, ever since. Again, since, uh, you know, the, what is it, that the inflation levels have been going up. Right. And it's, it's numbers I have never seen. I'm not going crazy with, like, shopping or anything. That's it's just, thing. it's just I don't even know what I'm buying. Everything's more expensive nowadays. You're, and then gas prices are mm -hmm. up, too. You're not alone, SJ. That's the thing. I My spending hasn't, like, the, 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 the quantity and the quality of stuff that I've been purchasing for the past year hasn't really changed. But the prices, oh, wow. I don't even want to look at my <laughs> credit card bills. Yeah, I think an average 20%. It says here uh, some, uh, uh, what, well, it doesn't say, but a 4% um, in, increase, 10% increase. But for me, 20%. 20%. Yeah, the 20% seems yeah. about right. Mm -hmm. uh, it's just everything is so much more expensive. Fruit is more expensive mm -hmm. nowadays. And then we saw a dip in gas prices and it's skyrocketing once again. And so it's I can't believe how things are at this time. And again, we continue to talk about this income gap that we have in the South Korean society. Uh, and there is no middle gap, which is why we see uh, the, most of the pinch coming to, towards the, the lower income group, uh, lower income groups out there. And so it is really alarming at this time. We don't know when uh, the inflation levels, we say the inflation level is going down, right? We keep talking about this, like it's kind of like a, we finally reached the 2% rate uh, range, but that's only compared to last year. Yeah, we're uh, really not feeling it. No, we're really not. It really is concerning here. Uh, let's move on here. The U U.S. Commerce Department having lifted some Chinese entities from its unverified list, uh, sending somewhat of a positive signal before the Commerce Secretary uh, Gina Raimundo's uh, upcoming visit to Beijing. Uh, tell us more about this, Xi. Sure. So the U.S. has removed 27 Chinese companies and organizations from its unverified list of expert control concerns ahead of the Commerce Secretary's visit to China next week. Now, observers say the move is a sign of con 
continued public conflict management. And the unverified list is a preliminary step before uh, the expert control blacklist. Now, Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo will travel to Beijing and Shanghai from August 27th to the 30th to hold talks with Commerce Minister Wang Wantao and meet with policy officials, local U.S. businesses and others. Uh, they are expected to discuss bilateral expert controls on batteries and key minerals, as well as high tariffs, uh, intellectual property rights, and establishing communication channels as well. Now, it will be the fourth visit by a senior U.S. official to China this year alone, following Secretary of State Tony Blinken, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen, and Climate Envoy uh, John Kerry. Now, China has an obvious incentive to de-escalate tensions with the United States amid deteriorating economic conditions, including slowing manufacturing and exports, as well as rising youth unemployment and signs of deflation. Now, the U.S. also needs to convince China that its measures are in the interest of national security. Uh, this is after announcing restrictions on foreign capital's public investment in high tech earlier this month. However, as with previous high-level visits to China, the trip is unlikely to produce a breakthrough in the U.S.-China conflict because successive visits by the three ministers have been largely unsuccessful, uh, failing to produce a joint statement, and Yellen and Kerry didn't even get to meet with the Chinese president as well. Now, while the U.S. has embarked on a strategy of deconfliction, it has continued to restrict foreign investment and control exports of advanced semiconductors under the guise of national security. And China, for its part, welcomed the Commerce Minister's visit uh, next week, uh, Commerce Secretary, but stating through a Commerce Ministry spokesperson that the U.S. recent decision was conducive to the normali normalization of trade between the two states and is in line with the common interests of both sides. Like, it's so interesting, right? I mean, uh, we've been talking about this trade war between the United States and China for years, mm -hmm. uh, even during the uh, the Trump administration with the steel tariffs and so forth. Mm -hmm. uh, but it, it's we've been seeing sort of at one side, the U.S. kind of making sure, and they continue to say it's not decoupling, it's de-risking, and there's mm -hmm. been continuous attack towards the, uh, China again uh, under the guise of security and uh, national security, right? But at the same time, they're sending, uh, you know, Janet Yellen, Anthony Blinken, and now uh, Gina Raimondo and going, listen, we got to talk. We don't want to risk, you know, ruining our trade relations here. The fact of the matter is they can't go without China. China and especially when it comes to inflation, uh, experts were saying that if they lose out on a lot of the stuff, goods coming in from China, inflation is going to skyrocket over in the United States. And so they're trying not to upset China while at the same time still upsetting China. So it's it's interesting uh, what they're doing here. Uh, in the meantime, the BRICS group, the coalition of major emerging economies that until now was a group of five countries, uh, it's ex expanding now. Uh, they're making room for more at the table. And uh, it does feel like a strategic move to consolidate uh, their influence. So, Jian, what's the story here? Uh, sure. Yes, SJ. Now, we're seeing a notable shift. Uh, BRICS, which is originally stands for Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, has now decided to bring in Saudi Arabia, Iran, the UAE, Argentina, Egypt, and Ethiopia. So, from a group of five, BRICS is now moving to an ensemble of 11. And 
it's not actually their first time adding new faces. Um, South Africa was the last addition in 2010. And this announcement made by Cyril Ramaphosa, president of South Africa in Johannesburg, really signals the BRICS ambition to expand its influence. Uh, He set the ball rolling for these new members to officially get on board by January 1st, 2024. And the foreign ministers of these countries have also been tasked to refine the BRICS partner country model and also the potential list to be presented at the next summit. And the mood among the existing BRICS leaders is quite optimistic. Uh, Key players like Brazil's Lula da Silva, India's Modi, China's Xi Jinping, and even Putin from Russia, who chimed in virtually, were in high spirits of this news, congratulating these six countries. And also, she in particular gave a nod to Ramaphosa um, and South Africa, highlighting BRICS' commitment to the emerging nations. Now, BRICS is now an even bigger heavyweight player on the international stage. Now, as of now, with just the original five members alone, they represent 42% of the world's population, cover 26% of its landmass, and account for 23% of the global GDP and 18% of global trade. And given the additional six more countries, this influence is only going to set to grow. Uh, now, spanning three days, this summit uh, titled BRICS in Africa not only showcased extensive discussions, but saw over 50 top tier leaders from Africa and the global south taking the stage and uniquely everyone got a moment with the mic now what stood out of this event was Putin's absence now given the ICC arrest warrant uh, Russia sent foreign minister Sergei Lavrov in his place now this is the first summit and actually um, a summit without a head of the st- of state uh, actually the first time out of the pandemic constraints. And it's also noteworthy because Russia is actually up to next, up to chair the BRICS meeting. So that's going to be interesting. Yeah, I mean, at least as long as Putin stays inside Russia, he's not going to get arrested is what it is. So he might take part in the next BRICS. I, it, this is interesting because BRICS makes sounds correct, right? I mean, it was BRIC and then mm-hmm. it's BRICS. I don't know what they're going to call it next, but uh, it's an interesting uh, coalition that you're looking at. And I think China is betting on these emerging economies. They're playing. China's playing the long game right now. Mm-hmm. They need the economic uh, alliance because uh, they've been isolated by the rest of the the international community from uh, from the United States and mm-hmm. so forth. And so they're playing the long game here, and it might pay off uh, for. Uh, China and Xi Jinping. Uh, in the meantime, <laughs> this is—I'm sure—probably the picture seen around the world. Boy, this guy did not look very happy. Uh, former President Donald Trump—he uh, turned himself in uh, to the Georgia prosecutors on Thursday uh, evening at uh, just past, I think, 7:30 p.m. was what it was to face criminal charges uh, related to his attempt to overturn the 2020 presidential election results. And I'm talking about the mugshot that everyone's mm-hmm. seen. 
Gee, let's get more on this. Sure. So former U.S. President Donald Trump was indicted on Thursday by prosecutors in Georgia for the fourth time since leaving office on 13 felony counts, including allegations that he called Georgia Secretary of State in early January 2021 after losing the state's electoral vote in the 2020 presidential election, pressing him to find 11,780 votes to overturn the outcome of the election. Now, upon arrival at the jail in downtown Atlanta, Trump went through arrest procedures and underwent a brief physical examination as well. And he was then released within 20 minutes after paying 200,000 U.S. dollars in bail, which his defense attorneys had already agreed to with prosecutors. Now, notably, uh, Trump was temporarily booked into a detention center and had his mugshot taken like other suspects. And this is the first time he is being mugshot since his fourth criminal indictment and fourth appearance before prosecutors. Uh, In his previous three indictments, he avoided jail time as well as mugshots out of respect for the former president, but now he has taken it and his mugshot is expected to be released in the coming days. Uh, It's been already released, but I think it's, uh, yeah, it's been released uh, on the, everyone's seen it already. (laughs) The thing is, everyone's seen it right now. Is that the frowning, is that the mugshot? Yeah, I think that's the mugshot. I'm not 100% sure because I I think that was the mugshot that everyone's seen. The frowning face. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's been released already. So I think, yeah, but I think by being released later on, like officially on, I think the, uh, there's like the official file, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, it's been released already, but to be put in file, I think it's good. It takes day here, but he does. It doesn't look that bad, actually, to be honest. It kind of looks sim- like a similar poster from The Apprentice back in the day. <laughs> so it's the the mugshot itself. Does he look happy to you? Uh, no, not even in <laughs> exactly. The Apprentice. He did not look happy. Yeah, exactly. Uh, very quickly here, let's get some developing story out of Russia surrounding the Wagner Group, a private military organization, of course, with reported links to Kremlin. Uh, key members of this group have also been reportedly dead, uh, causing ripples throughout the political and military circles. Chiang, uh, very quickly, uh, fill us in on this. Sure. Now, the news of Yevgeny uh, Prigozhin, uh, death, uh, his death has definitely s- sent some shockwaves through Russia's power corridors. Now, Prigozhin's uh, wasn't just uh, anyone. He was at the helm of the Wagner Group. Now, everyone's wondering what actually what the future fo- unfolds for them. Now, this group has played a pivotal role in in shaping Russia's foreign moves, particularly in Africa. And the UK Times hinted that this could signal the end for the Wagner Group. And even The Guardian emphasized that while there are other commanders within the group, none have the charisma, financial power, or political networks of Prigozhin. Now, another key figure, Valerie Cheklov, uh, who has also been associated with Prigozhin since the early 2000s, also died in the same airplane crash. And also Putin made a statement about Prigozhin uh, and he said that he knew uh, him since the 1990s and that he was a competent businessman but had a tough fate and made mistakes. Uh, Putin also conveyed his condolences to his family. Uh, So the broader implication here is that Wagner Group has been involved in various operations, notably in Syria, Mali, Central African Republic, 
and Libya. And they've been guarding regimes and securing mining rights as part of Russia's foreign policy. And experts believe that if the Wagner Group undergoes a name change or rebranding, their operations will likely continue in a similar fashion after they've all proven adaptable over the years. Yeah, it's quite interesting. And the message that, again, the U.S. intelligence officials are saying basically that it is probably not a missile to missile uh, oh, sorry, surface-to-surface surface missile that was used, but maybe there was a bomb or some kind of detonation uh, that occurred at the aircraft was what it is. But again, we there's no way to prove this, uh, but a clear message from Putin, I think. Uh, nevertheless, guys, thank you very much for your reports. Have a safe weekend, and we'll see you guys again. Thank Have you. Weekend. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.